so we're doing this series, Imitating Jesus, and I'm really excited about this series. Uh, we're calling it Imitating Jesus, and I just thought that that needed a little bit of explanation, first of all, because we're not talking about mimicking Jesus. Uh, we're, we're not going to study some things and say, look, this is what he said, this is what he did, and then we do our best to copy him. No, we're to be like him. That's what it means to imitate Jesus. The Apostle John tells us that we're to have this hope that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. How about that? How amazing is that? And then it goes on to say, that, and we'll see him but as he is, and yet we will be like him. That's just incredible. And I think this is about living out of that family resemblance where God is our father, Jesus is our brother, and we are related to one another in the family of God. And family is an incredible thing, isn't it? Mm. I was thinking about this a while ago when I watched this TV program, which I have a kind of love-hate relationship with. It's, it's called Long Lost Family. <laughs> and it completely wrecks me every time. It gets me to such an extent, well, look, here's a, a picture of me preparing to watch <laughs> my lost family. The tissues are invested like gutters around my glasses. Uh, I have been known to sob inconsolably watching Long Lost Family. One of my loving family members took this, by the way, to mock me. So there you go. Um, but I also love this program because I think it says something about family that's just quite profound. Um, it amazes me how many long-lost family members meet for the first time and find out all the things that they've got in common. You know, they're doing similar jobs. They, uh, they've got similar mannerisms. They've got similar hairstyles. They live in similar places. We were watching a program where the, the, t these two families lived in the same city and had never met each other. There were so many similarities. And then there's that instant connection that they have. It's a kind of a mysterious bond. It's so evident. They hug each other, they cry, and they're not embarrassed at all. They even talk about loving one another. It's inexplicable. And you kind of say, well, that's family. That's how you know your family. And that's the kind of thing I mean about this series. We are imitators of Jesus, replicators of his kingdom. And that's because we all share the same spiritual DNA mm. so that we grow to be like him. Mm. And so that's what we want to explore in this series. Uh, it really is it's our potential in Christ. Uh, each theme is another revelation of who we are in Christ and who we are called to be together as church. So we're doing that from the book of uh, Philippians. And I love this book. It's just full of joy. It's full of affection. It's also full of challenge, as we're going to see today. But it's also full of lots of encouragement. Um, it's a family letter, really. The more I've read it, the more convinced I've become that it's a kind of a family letter. He doesn't use his apostolic title in the greeting. Um, he, at least, he uses the language of an affectionate friend. And Paul is full of joy despite his circumstances. That's a big theme of the book. We saw that a bit last week. And he calls us to, say, to the same attitude because, well, that's what it means to imitate Jesus, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame. It's in the family DNA. 
So I want us to be encouraged and full of joy as well as challenged in this series. It's been a tough few years, and looking ahead, I think there's more to come. Do you? Uh, But we don't need to give up. As imitators of Jesus, we can find him in all of our circumstances, which is the attitude. I want to talk about attitude today that we see in Paul, and it's in the next part of Philippians 1, from where Simon left us last week. So it's Philippians 1, 12 to 30. And uh, I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'm going to dip into it, and I'm going to explain it as we go along. Um, But I want to look at three aspects of his attitude. His attitude to past circumstances, that's verses 12 to 14. His attitude in the present circumstances, 15 to 19. And then in his future circumstances, in 20 to 26. Okay? Don't worry, it'll all make sense as we go along. So the first bit, looking at past experiences, 12 to 14. Paul says in verse 12, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. That what has happened to me. What's happened to him? Well, we know that Paul was in prison. Most commentators uh, agree that he's writing from Rome, and his whole journey to Rome is recorded at the end of the book of Acts. It's a whole catalogue of injustices and abuses. There's uh, beatings which he got saved from because he was a Roman citizen, a plot to kill him, which he escaped from because some, sen- some friends told him about it. There's trials and defences, and there's a shipwreck, and then he was bitten by a snake, and now he's in Rome, and he's under house arrest, probably. He had some freedom, but he was under armed guard. Not great. It wasn't a great place to be in. And I think there are some pretty horrible circumstances that have led Paul to this moment. And I don't know about you, but I think I might have had a few complaints. I think that I might have had some reasons for not being full of joy, not being very happy about all of this. Put it this way, I don't think my letter home to friends would have been as positive. Really? Uh, Because we get stuck in the past, some of us, don't we? We get stuck in stuff that hands us, stuck in the misery of our circumstances. We rehearse our pain, our nurse, our disappointment. We say things like, you don't know what it was like for me. You don't understand. If you had my past, if you'd been through what I'd been through, then you would be just like me. And we justify ourselves in our attitudes. I have a recent example of this that Tom drew to my attention recently. (laughs) He came in and said to me one day, he says, I think you need to stop going on about what happened with Jago House. I think you need to move on, Rob. (laughs) I think it's time to leave it behind. Thanks, Tom. But he was right. (laughs) He was right. My anger and disappointment at what had happened and the injustice of it all got, got me stuck in a loop of being quite grumpy about it. And he had enough because he had to work with me. (laughs) But it's difficult, isn't it, when there isn't a clear solution and you don't know how things are going to work out. And, And so our past circumstances can get it stuck, get us stuck. I mean, that's what it was for me, but what about you? What is it for you? And in saying this kind of stuff, I'm not trying to minimise anything that's happened to you. And perhaps you think getting upset about a building is really silly, but that's just my most recent example. But what about you? What's yours? What's got you stuck in the past? What circumstances are haunting you in your life? 
John Maxwell talks about the importance of attitude, and he says that our attitude determines our altitude. It can either lift us up, lift our gaze, or it can take us down and we hit the ground. Our attitude determines our altitude. So what gave Paul his attitude lift, so that he could say that he's full of joy and all that kind of thing? It's the gospel. We've been singing about it all, all afternoon. He says his circumstances have actually served to advance the gospel. It lifted his head. And he goes on in verse 13. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And so it seems that not only has he been able to keep preaching, the palace guard had learnt the real reason for his imprisonment has been impacted by him and his message. And also his confinement has encouraged the other believers to keep going because they see that the message is spreading despite the difficult circumstances. Now, I don't know about you. I'm going to be really honest today, by the way. Okay, so just get ready. He talked about being authentic, and I'm going to be authentic with you, because I don't know about you, but when was the last time it was the gospel that lifted you out of your circumstances? Honestly. When, when was that ever a priority for us, really, or a motivation? I've got terrible circumstances. It's dreadful. But hey, the gospel. When have we ever done that? I mentioned Jay Gohas. I said I wouldn't keep going on about it, but I'm going to just for today. <laughs> so can I look back and see that the message of Jesus has spread in, a, spread in a way that it wouldn't have done if we hadn't lost our venue? Well, kind of. You know, I'd never have spoken to the deputy leader of Solihull Council about the church. I wouldn't have been able to share my vision with him and our passion for our community if it hadn't happened. So I guess we'd never have had such big conversations about the children's storehouse with the council and, and have it acknowledged that actually your work is really invaluable to us. We wouldn't have had the opportunity to be such an encouragement to this church here. I was here this morning at the 60th anniversary. It's obvious that we really encourage them just by being here. One of the neighbours spoke to me and said, oh, you're the Yellow Jackets Church. <laughs> but it's got them talking in the neighbourhood in a really positive way about this church, the Yellow Jacket Church, that make all that noise on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Who knows where that's going to end up? Kind of, yeah. The gospel has kind of spread through that. And listen, Paul shows us in this, there's a key here, he shows us how to reframe our, 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 our circumstances, our bad circumstances with the gospel mindset. It shows us how when we prioritise the message of Jesus and the good news over the kingdom, over what happens to us, that it can spread through our communities and give boldness to other believers. Weren't those testimonies encouraging? It gives us boldness when we hear these stories. This priority, the gospel, should encourage us too. Wherever you go, whatever happened to you, 
is an opportunity for something of Jesus to come out through your life. How about that? Whatever goes on, whatever's happened, it's an opportunity for Jesus to spill out. How about that? How about taking some time when you go home today to just go over some of the hard things and say, okay, God, where were you? What are the opportunities of Jesus to come out of that? What did you do in that time? Uh, Can you trace the hand of God in them? Can you say that perhaps if I hadn't been through that experience, I wouldn't have had that opportunity for the gospel? I know I can. Well, perhaps not. You know, sometimes the things that happen to us are so terrible it can be really hard to see any good in them at all, let alone the hand of God. And so listen, I'm not trying to minimise your pain or suggest a kind of Pollyanna, everything is wonderful mindset, when clearly it hasn't been. But listen, this is what I've discovered. Even in those circumstances, you can invite Jesus into those memories. You can invite him into those traumas. You can invite him to bring you peace and for his kingdom to come. That's the gospel too. That's the gospel. Alec Mottier, what a legend, comments on this passage. I think he's a legend. He says, one factor had, in reality, controlled the past for Paul. As he looks back, he can see it. And it's something that is always true. Say, always true. Always true. Good. (laughs) It happens not just for apostles and special people. It's true for every believer. Say every believer. For in each and every case, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ because God rules. God rules. He rules over our circumstances to such an extent that he can also work all these things together for our own good. How about that? Well, why don't you just take a moment right now to invite him in? I don't know what circumstance came to your mind as you were, as I was just speaking there. What circumstance, that awful thing that happened. Just take a moment and say, Lord, I invite you in. I invite you into that situation. Lord, will you come and bring peace? Jesus, come into that situation. Come and bring healing. Let your kingdom come. Let the gospel message come into that. Come on, Lord. Please come. I invite you in. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. I want to encourage you to go back there when you go home today. and Just spend some time inviting him in to some situations from your past circumstances. Because God rules over all our circumstances and we can ask him to rule where we haven't seen his rulership. Amen? So what about the present then, Paul? How are you doing there? I don't know about you, but seeing God's faithfulness in the past when everything has finally worked out can sometimes be easier than coping with what's happening today. Anybody? 
to the present, verses 15 to 19. Now, we don't know the identity of the people that Paul mentions in these next few verses, but it seems he's responding to some concerns about his present circumstances from his friends in the church at Philippi. So he kind of starts by responding, saying, yeah, it's true. So they've heard about something. Yeah, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Verse 16, the latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. There's that word again. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. That told them. (laughs) Is anybody getting excited or is it just me? (laughs) I think Paul's attitude in this passage is incredible. He doesn't talk about his own needs. He doesn't mention his chains. He doesn't even mention his own personal suffering. There's no self-pity here at all. And so there he is. He's caught in the middle of these two groups, some of whom have good motives. The others want to make things harder for him and increase his suffering. So how is he going to respond? How would you respond? You know, he, he's got to say something. He's got to do something. He's an apostle of the church. He needs to exercise some discipline. He needs to bring some order. He needs to take authority. He needs to take a side here. Surely. But then he goes right down the middle and takes the bigger eternal picture and says, so what if some of them have got bad motives, if Christ is being preached? Whoa! What are they teaching though, Paul? I mean, they're teaching some dodgy stuff. So what if Christ is being preached? I I can't even... Whoa! As long as he is, Paul says, then that's fine. Never mind me. God is being glorified and that's what's important. That's what's important. And again, there is that priority of the gospel over circumstances. And I'm being honest with you, I don't think I would have done so well. I don't think I could have been so gracious. More likely I would have said, who do you think you are? Don't you know who I am? The important work that I'm doing, or something like that? Or is it just me? Crumbs, help me people. But you know, this begs the question about what are we prioritizing? It begs the question, what's more important, my personal comfort or whether the message of Jesus is going out anywhere? So what does it matter? And I've got to say, this has really challenged me this week. It's really caused me to question my motives. How much is the gospel a priority to me? Despite what happens to us. Can we say with Paul that it doesn't matter, none of this matters as long as I can keep talking about Jesus? Can we honestly say that? Can I? 
You know, I've been through some difficult times. I know many of you have too. I've sat with some people through some incredibly hard times over the years, and, and I think it can be really hard to find a different perspective when the things that we're going through can be so overwhelming, can't they? It's much more difficult than with what has happened in the past. Because, you know, time and distance that helps us to reframe things and trace God's hand through our, our lives, ha- handling current circumstances. Or is this just me? It can be really difficult. It can be so overwhelming. Because I don't know what's going to happen. And I know that this is hard. This is challenging. But in these times, in these moments of utter despair, we have to make this choice. It says, I'm going to trust God anyway. I'm going to trust him anyway. Who cares? I'm going to trust him anyway because he knows the outcome of all that's happening to me. And that he's going to bring us through this. And he's going to get glory. And that's what the most important thing is. Do you think you can say that? (sighs) Thank you for being honest. I love how Paul finishes this. <laughs> Seriously, I've had sleepless nights over this passage this week, but I love how he finishes this section. Verse 19, he says, but this is the explanation, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit, what has happened to me is going to turn out for my deliverance. I love that. <laughs> Church, I need your prayers. I need you to pray for me in my difficult circumstances. Paul says, I trust those prayers. I trust the prayers of the church. Do we? Why don't we come to the prayer meeting then? (laughs) Do you trust the prayers of the church? He says, and I trust in the provision of the Holy Spirit, his presence. We need his presence in our lives. We can't do the Christian life without it. We need his presence. And then he makes this declaration. I know that what has happened to me will turn out for good. Literally, the word here is that whether I come out of this or not, my message and I will be vindicated because it's the gospel. The counts. Do you know, I don't know what circumstances you find yourselves in right now, and I appreciate that it may be overwhelming. But can I encourage you? Imitate Paul's confidence and say, what does it matter? As long as Christ is glorified, I will rejoice. Do you know, I came under the most phenomenal accusation recently. I was actually walking to church last weekend. Just felt, you know, the spirit of naffness came on me. (laughs) The spirit of naffness, it's in the Bible, um, just came on me as I was walking down St. Helens Road. Why bother? I'm going to give up. And then it just suddenly came to me. The same spirit. Listen, enemy, 
the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. You should be afraid of me. Yeah, I shouldn't be intimidated by you. What does it matter what you say? What does it matter what my circumstances? His spirit lives in me. His presence is with me. God is for me. If he's for me, who can be against me? Come on, some of you need some of this. Some of you need some of this. Get the fire back in your belly. What does it matter? It's his gospel. It's his glory. That's important. Whew, this is good stuff, Rob. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so what about Paul's attitude to the future? Last point. Verses 20 to 26. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. But will have sufficient courage. There's that word, it's come again. So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Guys, nobody knows the future. Paul doesn't claim to know the future, and he faces the same possibilities as any of us that we may live or we may die. You know, we can make plans, we can have hopes and dreams, but in the end, only God knows what's in store for us. But one thing Paul is sure of is that he will not be ashamed and that Christ will be exalted, magnified in his body. Is that your assurance? Yeah. There's that famous verse, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Guys, he is not talking about preaching the gospel now. He's not talking about sharing his faith. He's not talking about the work he does. He's not talking about any of those kinds of things. He is talking about the manifestation of the life of Jesus in him that will be seen by those around him, whatever happens. Say that, whatever happens. This is my new technique for keeping people awake on a Sunday afternoon. Whatever happens in the future, that's his priority. I just want to see Jesus glorified through my body. I don't mind if I live or die, as long as that happens. That's spiritual warfare right there. And this is the common thread throughout the passage that in all circumstances, past, present, or future, that Christ will be seen, the gospel preached, and Jesus glorified. That's what truly motivates him, not what happens to him, not his circumstances, whether they're good or bad. In fact, at the end of the letter, he says that he has learned to be content whatever. The circumstances. Guys, I'm not there yet. I'm not there, are you? Phew. (laughs) Whatever the circumstances, well, presumably, as long as the gospel is preached, Paul. And so Paul exhorts us with these words to finish today with. Verse 27, I've jumped a bit, but you can read it yourself. Verse 27, whatever happens, say that. 
Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Literally, that means live as heavenly citizens. Live like you're from another world. Live like you're seated in Christ at the right hand of God. Live like heavenly citizens. Whatever happens, live like. Be in the family resemblance of Christ. So, let me conclude. As I have confessed on a number of occasions through this talk, I have really wrestled with this message because it's so challenging. It's really caused me to ask some questions about what's really important to me. And so I pass it on to you. <laughs> and the easiest thing for me to do uh, is to conclude from this message, listen, guys, God is over all your circumstances, past, present, and future. You can trust him. I was really tempted to go for that. But this is not the main thrust of Paul's message. Paul's example to us is very challenging because it asks us to consider what is more important to us. Our circumstances, that we have a nice life and we don't have too much trouble, or the gospel. It does, doesn't it? I'm not making it up, am I? Can you see my problem? <laughs> and perhaps even this isn't clear enough. It's how important is Jesus to you, really? How much does his message to the world and his glory actually matter to us? That's what he's asking. That's what his example shows us. And you know, there's not very much we can do about our past circumstances other to invite Jesus into them, which can be very helpful and it brings healing to us. And it may be too challenging right now to look at our current circumstances and say, it doesn't matter, I'm going to rejoice anyway, because it will be fake. But what about our future circumstances? Can we honestly say with Paul today that whether we live or die, what is most important is that Jesus is glorified to us? That's the thing to go for. And I feel like this is where we need to conclude. Now we decide today before God that in our future circumstances that we will consider the priority of the gospel and his glory to be the most important thing. What do you think? Oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't not. <laughs> I wouldn't. I, I don't want you to rush to a decision. I'm not going to call a response right now. This is serious. It's simply too important. And making this priority will change your life. It will reorientate you completely. So that's a rubbish talk, isn't it? Is that... <laughs> I just thought I had to be honest. This has really challenged me. I don't think we can take this lightly. Where does the gospel feature in our lives? Where does Jesus really feature? Is he really Lord of my life? So what I want to do is just pray. <laughs> can we just pray and ask the Father to help us? Because there's no, this is no condemnation unless I condemn myself also. There's no condemnation. This is our inheritance. This is the family resemblance. This is what it means to imitate Jesus. 
to do what Paul did. He was just following Jesus. This comes directly from Jesus. It's supernatural. I cannot make a decision in the flesh. It's just impossible. So does that help? Mm. Holy Spirit, we just come and help us. Come and help us, Lord. Come and search our hearts. Come and help us to reprioritize. Some of us actually just need to repent. That's the word, to change the way that we think, to start prioritizing that message again. So, Jesus, forgive us. Spirit, help us. And Father, send us again. There's such an urgency in my heart for this, you know. There's such an urgency in the Spirit for us to really get what it means to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to go and make disciples. There's such an urgency. I've just read a, some t- statistics this week that basically say that in the next 20 years, if the trajectory continues, all of the denominations, bar a few, will have closed down. Now, I'm not leaning into that negative thinking because I believe God is greater. But it's true that unless the church understands this message and we start to preach the gospel, that's the reality for many of us. Jesus, have mercy. Jesus, have mercy. Father, we ask you for for a move of the Spirit. We ask you to help us, Lord, and do with us what we can't do ourselves. And yeah, there are all kinds of strategies and ideas and thoughts and things that we can try. But Lord, in the end, we need you to move in power. We need a move of God. But Father, we're going to move anyway. Father, we're going to respond to this message. We're going to take this seriously. Father, search our hearts and teach us and help us. But Father, will you meet us? Will you meet our faith? Because if we draw near to you, it says that you will draw near to us. And we pray, Lord, that your spirit would break out. And Father, I want to ask you that you give us many, many new believers. Father God, not just that they turn up on spec, Lord, but you connect us with people that want to know Jesus in this season. Father, we offer ourselves to you. Lord, use us. Here we are. Forgive us that we haven't prioritized this as we should and help us to go into all the world and obey what you told us to do for your glory. For your name's sake. Because Jesus, we do want you to be glorified in our lives above everything else. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.